What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hardcore Troubadour. My name is Brian Wallace. And my name is Tyler Short. And Brian's wearing a Tom Petty shirt today. That's right. Have you seen the GTA 6 trailer yet? No, but I heard that love is a long road. Yeah. And it was like getting a huge increase in like streams because it's in that video game. Right. And it's a great song. So it's fuck yes. Great fucking song. Dude, that's so cool that they use that. Dude, it's I, so cool that they use that. I never played any of those games, but I feel like any just, of those games. I'm not. And and I, and I but trust me, I'm not saying this as like, a ooh, I'm not a game or whatever. I just like video games just weren't my thing. So I, I guess, like never, yeah. yeah. Well, technology is not really my thing, but <laughs> PlayStation 2 really was my thing for a bit of time. And yeah. I mean, the Tony Hawk Pro Skater on Nintendo 64 and Sega Dreamcast was like what got me skateboarding. Yeah, I think that's so, true for a lot of people, man. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. For, for so many people, it was, was what got a lot of people into punk, but... Yeah. For me, it's what resulted in my family realizing, man, he really likes playing the skateboarding video game. Maybe we should get him a skateboard and yeah. see how he likes actually doing it. And, and, he'll, uh, and he'll go outside. the answer was too much. <laughs> Changed your fucking life, man. Yeah. The answer was enough to land in the hospital a lot. <laughs> skateboarding, moshing. You you were you were gonna find a way to injure yourself one way or another. I always will find a way to injure myself. Um Yes, that's true. It's it's funny though, like bo both of those games, again, like having never played them, they're just so fucking ubiquitous and oh, like yeah. popular. I've either been around people playing them or seen like memes from them or like know about like, yeah, I've met people who like, I had, no, I, I'd had students who knew certain punk songs. Because of be that, like, yeah. Yeah, and I'd be like, oh, you listen to this? And they'd be like, who? Oh, no, I know this song from Tony Hawk. <laughs> And I'd be like, I'll take it. You know what I mean? Like, well, Grand Theft Auto 4 had like a New York hardcore radio station. That's right. That, like Agnostic that. Front and Madball. And I want to say there's a Sick of It All song on there too. Um, and I think Negative Approach even was on it as well. That's wild. Um, even, very even crazy. Even though they're not from New York. Even though they're not from New York. Well, it was a lot of uh, that like late 80s kind of era hardcore stuff was was on it for some reason i don't know it was like a certain well, era of person just the it. kind of the kind <laughs> of hardcore that makes you want to drive around committing crimes yes yes which which i love speaking of new york hardcore tyler today is wearing a leeway shirt um which always gets a thumbs up from me i've had um, i i put this shirt on yesterday and then i found like a sticky substance on the inside of it so i ran it under the sink and washed it off and then i hung the shirt back up and then i put it on today so i'm just gonna forget that it had something gross on it yesterday <laughs> you didn't have to tell people that when you say sticky substance on a t-shirt uh only one thing comes to mind for me but uh i think it was something from ashton's job i think she washes our clothes with things that have like toxic chemicals on them sometimes and then it ends up attaching to um, my clothes sure so blame her Yes. And, and have her do your laundry. I see how this goes. Yeah, I do our laundry. <laughs> Thank you. She just she just puts toxic things in it sometimes. That's fine. I'm also the laundry guy here. Actually, we've in our like delineation of things. It's so funny to think like Rachna hates doing laundry, and I'm like, I put on music and 
It's Zen. Find it meditative. Yeah. I, yes. I don't mind folding clothes. Like I, I kind of like it and I'd rather do that than certain other things. Um, so fuck yeah, man. Um, dude, one thing that happened since we talked last, uh, Henry Kissinger finally died. Somebody we bring up right. a lot. Fuck yeah. Finally happened. Took a hundred fucking years. Um, what a bastard. And couldn't happen uh, to a nicer guy. Yeah. It, it is just like amazing. Um, it, it, it's also one of those things I, 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 I love the youth because like pretty universally, like young people's reaction to this was like, yeah, fuck this war criminal who died. And it was, you know, just the, the meanwhile, was, the Yankees were really sad. Yeah. The, the New York Yankees, um, there, oh my God, this website I read, uh, worker owned collective, by the way, sports website called defector, um, who used to work for this media conglomerate. They were fucking with them trying to silence their views. So they started their own website as a worker owned collective. Um, they put out an article and the headline was incredible. It was like, uh, least evil Yankees fan dies or something like that. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> like, you know, Yankees pay tribute <laughs> to least evil fan. Um, but it, yeah, it was just pretty a, amazing. a little too on the nose that they were like, yes, a fucking sports team. If any sports team was going to honor a war criminal, it was going to be the New York Yankees. Um, salute. I can, my, my friends who are Yankees fans are seething, but recognize that you've earned it. Um, Did you see the Rolling Stone headline? Yes. Oh my God. I think about it once a day. <laughs> what, what did it favorite of New York? It York's? was uh, Henry Kissinger war criminal. Um, uh, beloved by america's ruling class yeah finally dies <laughs> perfect beloved by america's ruling class is 100 percent the way to do it. like god that this is... dude responsible for more deaths than hitler and spent the last 50 years of his life at fucking cocktail parties and panel discussions um rather than you know in the ground where he belonged so yeah you know better late than never mm -hmm. um and uh i hope he suffered immensely and uh it was also he probably didn't he probably didn't the other thing that's funny is you know speaking about like toxic terrible organizations honoring henry kissinger the anti-defamation league which oh yeah we could get into a whole thing about they're doing that, great right now right like at one point <laughs> in their history might have had a noble you, yeah, you know like positive thing to, to contribute but that has long since passed and and lately they're all about you know, censorship and justifying war crimes. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, they posted a tribute to Henry Kissinger um, and people responded with many of the like anti-Semitic quotes that he had yeah. said during his life and as uh -huh. a Jewish person himself. Um, like, well, didn't he say like, I could understand why Hitler did what he did or some shit. That's yeah. like or, or he said, quote. he said, if it weren't for the circumstances of my birth, I would be anti-Semitic. Any any people that's been persecuted for 2000 years must be doing something wrong. I was like, yeah. holy shit. Straight I up just, I Nazi he, shit. I love that he had all that internalized hatred for him, his, his heritage. Yeah. While Nixon still hated him for it. I know. Yeah. He would <laughs> like cool. sit there with Nixon and like bro down, like talking shit on Jewish people. And then as soon as he left the room, Nixon like, would call him slurs. Oh my God. <laughs> 
What a great group of guys. I hope they're yeah. they're reunited in the afterlife now. Yeah. Um, cool. Dude, yeah. uh all the all the talk around uh Kissinger, I was talking to one of my coworkers the other day. Um, we just finished this show on HBO that we I'd never even heard of until we started watching it. It's called Getting On. Hmm. It's a yeah. it, I want to say it was like in like the late 2000s before the 2010s, I think. It okay. just ran for three years. Lori Metcalf is like the main actress with Niecy Nash. We thought it was going to be funny. It wasn't. It wasn't. It's was very, very hard to watch because it's about like nurses and like how fucked up our healthcare system is. Mm. Essentially, it's way more serious than I thought it was going to be. I thought it would be like fun and have some things to say. It really just had a lot of things to say. Um, it was really rough, but at the end, the the whole show spoiler alert the whole show kind of ends with it all takes place on a um like a uh, hospice ward mm-hmm. so like a terminal ward of a of a hospital so all everybody there is either elderly or about to fucking die um and it's not profitable and there's like some scandals with it with like Medicaid fraud and all this shit that's going on so the show kind of ends with them closing the ward and the nurses are getting like. Nisi Nash is really upset about it. She's like, there's just no justice. Like they're gonna they're gonna close this ward. Like, what's gonna happen to the patients? Like, what's gonna happen to our jobs? Like, where are we gonna go? What are we gonna do? And what's like this people needed this. And um Lori Metcalf looks at her at one point because she's just been railing about like there's no justice over and over and over again. She looks at her and she just says, There is no justice, but there is mercy because that's what we can give each other. And that just keeps ringing in my head when I think about this motherfucker living to a hundred. Yeah. And it's like, we can't do anything about those motherfuckers, but we can show each other mercy because it's what we have control over, which is, uh, I'm keeping that energy. You should. That's a beautiful message. And I, I, I think one that Steve would approve of as well. Who I am in the top 0.005% of Steve Earl listeners this year. More than me, man. Like that's fucking, that's crazy. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. I thought, I mean, he was by far my number one, but I was still not, not that close. 0.005%. I mean, I think the, the, that high of a percentage should get, you know, like a phone call, maybe an award, a sash, you know, cause I'm sure, you know, what that has probably put what? 26 cents in Steve Earle's pocket. At least. You know, yeah. Thanks At to least. Yeah. These amazing streaming deals that Spotify works out. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Um, I was thinking that you mentioned like Kissinger and there's like, we'll get into it as, as we discuss today's record, the revolution starts now, but like, you know, you could link a, a figure like a Henry Kissinger with a lot of the characters that were in George W. Bush's cabinet in the early aughts, like a, a John Ashcroft, um, a Donald Rumsfeld, a Condoleezza Rice, um, et cetera. And so I'm thinking. Although I think Condi Rice was kind of just like, she was like scrambling to, to make sense of things in so many ways. And I think she was really a victim of 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 the circumstance of being around all of these monsters, because hmm. it really seemed like I, I've listened to like the uh, that blowback podcast, yeah, the the, uh, the season on the Iraq War, and you realize like how much they kind of like 
it reminds me of how they treat Selena Kyle and Veep. That's kind of how Condi Rice, like, like they would like she'd walk into a room and they would finish what they were talking about and leave. Uh, yeah. And she well, would be like, then left to like explain what's going on to like the people. Yep. And she like didn't really know because they really kept her in the dark about a lot of things. I was about to say, no surprise that even if she shared a lot of their ideology, they treated a black woman differently. Um, <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, very surprising from that group of people. Well, it's interesting. But we'll talk about it when we get to the song because uh, I'm kind of like, well, you know, as a, as a, as a member of Bush's cabinet, in some ways, Condi earns every bit of scorn that you can give her. But then in other ways, I'm like, Steve, what were you thinking with this one, man? <laughs> um, yeah, we'll get we'll so get to we'll, it. We'll, we'll get, we'll to, get it. to that. Um, I've got some uh, I've got some some quotes from him about it that are that are fun. Well, yeah, man. So let's get into it. This is this is the revolution starts now. It is 2004. Um, we are coming to the end of Bush's first term, in which me and a lot of other idealistic young Americans were convinced was going to be his only term. How could it not be? He's so yeah. terrible. Mm -hmm. He's so awful. Look at all of us that have been protesting the war and speaking out and look at how terribly things have been going. Of course, he's going to lose the 2004 presidential election, right? Um, you know what happened after that, folks. But I, this this era- Swift, swift boats is what swift happened. Swift boats. Yeah, yeah. An actual draft dodger. Um, get, getting to question the, the bona fides of someone who, as sketchy as he might be, actually served. Um, so and was anyway, better looking in, in, in many ways, I, which you know usually matters to the American electorate, but it usually you know, does. He had great yeah. hair, yeah. What, what was going on? It was a weird time. Um, and and we, I, I feel like I'm a broken record always bringing this up. It's like, I, I, you know, now that we're like. 20 years on from all this, right? Like I, it's interesting to contrast what in many ways were some like excellent times in my life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like times when I feel like I, I was, I was touring, I was seeing places. I was in two bands that I loved with people that I loved. I had a job that gave me not a lot of money, but enough to like put gas in my car to go to hardcore shows um, and flexibility to take time off when I needed to go to shows. And most importantly, yeah. And I was like, had found my groove in college, which, you know, like a year or two earlier, I had been like, did I fuck up? Is this place for me? Should I do this? And was now like further on, like as an anthropology major, like with professors that I thought were genuinely like, interesting kind thoughtful people that both were like nice to us and cool to be with but also like challenged me and like pushed me to grow and be better so it's just a it's a it's a reckoning right of, of what was like a time that i look back on with a lot of nostalgia and fun and that's all real but also for the for the country and for so many people including friends of mine um a time when they were suffering and directly in harm's way as a result of the policies of, of the Bush administration and so many others. So this, this re re-listening to this record a few times puts me back there and all those, you know, um, I guess 
potentially contradictory feelings, but like, you know, Hey, it's, it's all true. All of it happening at the same time. That's how life is. Yeah, no, I mean, I was in high school at this point. So I, and I believe I was attempting to sleep through it. It, I was giving it my best shot. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I really like, wasn't, I, 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 I was realizing that I was different around this time Mm -hmm. and certainly like recognizing that the world didn't make sense, but I had yet to kind of have the devices to put my finger on what it was that was, that was wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, then, then I heard this record 15 years after (laughs) (laughs) all this shit went down so like i i through retro you know can can connect with a lot of these feelings and understand what how out of place i felt at that time i can now attribute like well it's because all this crazy shit that didn't make sense was happening all around me and i was not equipped at 14 to know what to fucking make of this shit yeah um but yeah, there's uh in that we are so we're reaching the end of the book that I have as well. So after this, we're flying by interviews or things that that we can find online for uh for the records after this. But there's a few cool things in the book, a lot like four different things like leading into before we start getting into songs, mm-hmm. um, and the forward on Steve's mood going into this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an interview where he uh, he's asked about the liner notes and the urgency to get this record out. And he says, I wrote the revolution starts now and rich man's war. And once I got those two songs, I really wanted out before the, I wanted it out before the election and enough before the election so that it would get heard before the election. Mm-hmm. I called Artemis records and asked him what the deadlines would be for that. And he said, if you want to get it out in September, you need to deliver it by middle of July. I said, when in July? And he said, well, early in July is earlier in September. We ended up beating it. Once we delivered it, Danny managed to shuffle things around and got it out two weeks ahead of that deadline. Um, So yeah, like just they were like determined to not only like get this record out, but like do it so that people could like live with it for a minute before they made their decision yeah i mean this was like this was a campaign you know and it's interesting to to say that like not explicitly a campaign for john Kerry, right but a campaign against bush and his band of war criminals i mean i'm thinking about like this was so ubiquitous then like there was a rise against video um that came out that year and i remember like you know, there's some graffiti or whatever. And it was like four more years and then like scratched out. And it was like one more month or whatever. And you know, the fucking, the fat mic, not my president shirts Mm -hmm. and and all stuff that I feel like too, as like, as a hardcore kid, like who, you know, both by nature and by conditioning was very skeptical of a lot of that stuff. It was still giving me hope. Yeah. You know, cause I, even at that young, you know, youngish age, um, I was 22 at the time. Like I was like, yeah, anything, 
anything that'll get this motherfucker out. And I'm and at least this has woken so many people up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, it's, it's like, I can really, I really appreciate Steve writing that and being like, I feel an urgency to get this out. And, and that urgency is based around when the election is coming up. The other thing that, um, comes up for me here. I mentioned this to you via text earlier, Tyler, is the the failed talk radio venture, Air America, um, which a lot of our listeners might not remember or even I was going to say this about. is this. I, I know so, what it was, but I yeah. got, never heard it. Yeah. So it. I looked it up. I mean, it, it started in 2004. Um ran officially until 2009, although it was pretty much over Mm -hmm. for a while before then, but was supposed to be the left-wing alternative, like the counterpoint to, to, you know, the right-wing dominance of talk radio. And they had, the interesting thing is like some of the hosts of the shows on Air America, even though it never got super popular, it was a um, stepping stone to a larger career. So for instance- Mark Marin, the comedian, mm-hmm. his Air America show is what became his podcast okay. later on. So it started like that. Chuck D from Public Enemy had a show. Um, Janine Garofalo had a show. And Mr. Steve Earle had a show. And I have really um, strangely clear memories of from the million times that I made the drive between Jackson, Mississippi and Memphis and coming out of Jackson, I would always be listening to music. And at some point, like I'd finish a few CDs or whatever. Mm -hmm. When I got close enough to Memphis, I could pick up whatever air America affiliate there was. Um, Cause I mean, this was part of the problem is they didn't have wide range or towers. Yeah. And like could, could not compete with, you know, all the, the dominance of like the Rush Limbaugh's, the Sean Hannity's that they were trying to literally just because of reach. Right. But I would listen to it. And in addition to Steve's show, they were using the revolution starts now as a bump, like in between like shows or whatever, it'd be like, uh, and you know, that's coming up next on air America radio, the revolution starts now. And I was like, (laughs) yes, badass and it just it's so i can look at it now and be like oh my god what the fuck were we thinking but like it was i i was genuinely even as like somebody on the left 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 side over Mm -hmm. there like i thought it was good shit and i it's interesting too i feel like a lot of people on the progressive left just aren't like talk radio people period so it wasn't gonna work um but when I at, at a time in my life when I was frequently making several hours long drives, I appreciated having it. Um, but so anyway, that's just one little like nugget is even though th- this record is not directly connected to that, I always associate this record with Air America with that Radio. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, that's so funny. I wonder if it's a like if you can listen to any old. Uh old like streams or if there's any of that stuff that's like recorded and filed away at all. I wonder, man, I, there's I gotta be somewhere. Oh, other, just to mention others who got their start on air America radio, Rachel Maddow, uh, Sam Sater. Okay. Um, and 
also, before becoming a United States Senator, Al Franken had a show on right. Air America Radio. Um, so yeah, it was like a it was a it was a cool venture, you know, like it is it was like by all definitions a failure, I guess. Yeah. In terms Those, of they like, always are because yeah. well, they always are because anything that's gonna be anything that's gonna attempt to exist in that space is gonna have to abstain from corporate money and interest. Yeah. And I mean, like in my like mid twenties, like formal radical like radicalization, like I was already pretty radical. But one of the things that really radicalized me was realizing how much I couldn't trust shit like NPR. Mm, yeah. Like how many how many times am I gonna listen to them in my car say a, a story on Amazon yet then be like our, one of our sponsors is Amazon, though. And then me right. wonder, like, how much of this are you fucking leaving out now? <laughs> <laughs> like, exactly. Like, it's very clear to me. And then, like, when I started realizing, too, like, even the BBC and how uh, how um, unquestioning of a lot of China's policies the BBC is because they want to have that friendly relationship. Right with the you know one of the biggest economies in the world and it's like when you start understanding that you're like damn we're never going to be told the truth about anything yeah <laughs> legit man legit. and speaking like... speaking of though george bush and uh this next little part uh question it does seem as if there's a deep well of disdain for bush and it's getting deeper but at the same time i well remember the most reviled politician of another era richard nixon and all the sentiment that seemed lined up against him, and he won landslide victories. Steve says, yeah, I know, it's because of fear. You know, the reason the Republican conventions in New York is because of that hole in the ground downtown. That's the only platform they have. No matter what they say about Kerry's record and, cons and conservatives, they're not conservatives. I understand conservatives. I don't agree with them. I think government is supposed to do something for its citizens. That's a fundamental disagreement. But you know what? I'm okay with real conservatives, but neocons aren't real conservatives, and Bush isn't even a neocon. I fear what he's become is a fundamentalist Christian. I think he really thinks God, he has God on his side. If that's true, then we've got a fundamentalist squaring off against fundamentalism, mm -hmm. and he's not smart enough to realize he cannot win that war. The other guys around him, they can't control him. He's president of the United States. Condoleezza did manage this, and another reason I'm really impressed with her. She did teach him to walk on his hind legs. That's an accomplishment. No doubt about it. This is a hundred times scarier than Nikita Khrushchev saying, we will bury you, which he didn't really say anyway. When I was a small child, I really believed if I ever encountered Nikita Khrushchev, he would eat me. I was lucky I was rescued from that fear at a relatively early age. I don't know why, but that's when I started playing music in coffee houses, which was just an accident because I was fairly precocious and I started playing... I started playing, wanting to play out before I was old enough to even get in bars. They were the coffee houses, and it was during the Vietnam War, and three or four, and the three or four that were in San Antonio were pretty politically oriented, and they were very much anti-war oriented, being a military town. Dude, I listened to an interview recently with uh, Vietnam vets against Vietnam, <laughs> and um, it really like, like opened my eyes to that history that does not get told of how many like gi revolts happened yes 
that that stymied. Like we're 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 told that like the you know we just couldn't win against the VC because of the guerrilla tactics and all the shit and you know it was just an unwinnable war because the way they fought which is blah 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 and it's like it really gets ignored we don't like to talk about how much our soldiers stopped wanting to fight yeah i, I mean e either you know like just by like quitting you know or fragging which like yeah. that that phrase came about in the Vietnam War. Yeah, they talked about fragging a lot in it and 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 even like just the fear of fragging. Like they would set traps for their officers that wouldn't be bombs, but they would like hook a tripwire up and then their officer would trip and just know yeah, that somebody could get them right if they wanted to. Yeah. And that was enough sometimes to get these guys to to back off and mm -hmm. and uh yeah, man, really, really fucking interesting. We're watching Generation Kill right now and uh, seeing that bureaucracy of the officers and the ones who have no business being in charge of of other soldiers. Given, you know, I think it's all wrong and fucked up in the first place. It is like very, very strange to see like the difference between like a true believer who's like not evil mm -hmm. and a true believer who is evil. And then also just like the level of incompetence and stupidity that goes along with people who don't have to earn their stripes. They're just kind of giving it. Right. Fuck. Very crazy. That's fascinating, man. Yeah, and yeah, no. it, it, I just especially appreciate like both that point and, and just what Steve makes, uh, you know, like San Antonio being a military town. So in addition to there being a lot of GIs around, like you're going to have a lot of, disaffected ones as well um and then becoming like the center like folks looking for somewhere to go to 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 process what they've been through and to to have a voice to speak out against it so um that's awesome you know what the, those nikita khrushchev comments remind me there's also a a death threat memphis death threat one word death threat song called why i grew up hating russians which like totally captures like the, just that same thing right like the way Dude, that we, we were, were all they were the bad guys in yeah. every movie when we were a kid yeah absolutely they were the bad guys in every movie they were the bad guys in professional wrestling do you did you ever see the bolsheviks tag team no <laughs> that sounds <laughs> fucking funny though <laughs> they ruled um but yeah there was a that was their that was their whole gag is they were they were from the Soviet Union and they would specifically before they wrestled in a match, have them sing um, the Soviet anthem just so the crowd could boo them while they were doing like it was just a, you know, with with, you know, willing propaganda like that, the government could just kind of like sit back, you know, everybody was doing their job for them. So, yeah. And um, then they, they moved smoothly into Islamophobia around this time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was, a, it was like a pretty, the shake and shit like that. Pretty, pretty like, easy, gnarly. pretty easy transition. Um, um, on the subject of, 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 of Bolsheviks and, and anti, uh, anti, anti-communist uh, propaganda. Um, there's a section in this book about Steve headlining the Alaska state fair. Hmm. And there were all these people who came and like protested him playing the Alaska State Fair and like were like very vocally like opposed to letting him come around this time. And there's this guy, uh, 
I think it's yeah, Merrill Palmer um, researched Steve online and was disturbed by his findings. Um, he says what he is. He says he's a borderline Marxist. He does not believe in the capitalist system. He has a red star on his T-shirt and he calls his album The Revolution Starts Now. Runs around with these communist hammer and sickle symbols as he goes all over the world. And I'm just saying, <laughs> this is outrageous. This is not something that Haynes should support. Haynes was the town in Alaska where it happened. Um, here's the bottom line. Would we win in Haynes, Alaska at the Southeast Alaska Fair? If uh, Would we support Nazis? They love Jesus going right Christ. there. To me, the <laughs> communist symbols that this guy runs all over the world are 30 times worse than the Nazis. If you want to go by how many people died. Oh, oh we just have an awesome, awesome Con educational system. Concerned citizens. Oh, my God. <laughs> this Who, guy's uh, name is dropped in this Dude, book. that's incredible. Who, uh, man, who whooped the Nazis' ass? Oh, yeah, I, I wonder who that was. Yeah, I can't remember. I forget. Yeah. I forget. But but there's things worse than them. Apparently, uh, well, I'm I'm glad we had this this concerned citizen from Haynes, Alaska, to to set us straight. Man, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Man, I'm just like sitting here, like you got that on one end, and then on the other end, uh, you got like, you know, the 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 growing number of people every day who've been fired or doxxed or otherwise had their livelihood lost, not even necessarily by saying anything um, anti-Israel by literally just saying free Palestine. Um, I, uh, I watched a, I watched a, um, a, a, a little skit, some like, I think a, like a British comedian or somebody made and it's, it's just him playing all the different roles of a guy getting kicked on the ground and it's Israel kicking a guy on the ground. That isn't, go ahead. Sorry. And finish. someone walks up and says, Hey, stop doing that. And he's like, why are you attacking me? And he's like, I'm not attacking you. I'm just telling you to stop doing that. You're going to kill that guy. And he goes, yeah, well now you're like, you're saying that my religion is wrong and you're attacking me for my religion. He goes, no, I'm, I'm saying you should stop kicking that guy. He looks very bad. And then some guy, uh, some guy comes up and representing Germany and the guy who's kicking him goes, can you believe this guy? He's telling me to stop kicking this guy. And the guy who's supposed to be Germany goes, yeah, you, you can't do that. He's right. That he, is, um, we, we, you can't kick that. Or he, you, he got, you can't tell him to stop kicking that guy. <laughs> that is a hilarious video. I have seen it. The comedian's name is Ty Hickey. Yeah. Pretty funny. And, I just have to correct you on one thing. He's Irish, not British. He's Irish. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. No, he would find he would be upset with that. <laughs> yeah, I'm very sorry for that. That sucks that I did he, that. No, it, he he has a whole series actually. If you if you look on his YouTube, he has a whole series of videos of like political commentary like that where he plays all the characters, and he has one where he starts as like Palestine, just like sitting in his kitchen, like eating cereal, and uh. Israel shows up and is like, oh, uh, new, like new roommate here, whatever, just like that. And it's like, you know, at first, you know, and at first Palestine is like, and what, and, and so they gave you the keys to this place, huh? And he's like, man, this is such a sketchy landlord. And then all of a sudden it cuts to like in the window and it says British and he's just like, and then goes away. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I actually realized now that Ashton showed me a TikTok of that. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, man. Same dude. Oh, just grown men talking about videos on the internet now. Yeah, no, that's that's my favorite genre of podcast. Is I love it. Middle aged um, white men explain memes. Memes. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> um, well, there's one more thing. Uh, there's a question about the grounding of Steve's songs, mm. um, and then we can get into uh, the forward that he wrote for it, which is this forward in Revolution Starts Now is the reason why I started collecting Steve Roll records. Because I wanted to read more of these things, only to then find out that he didn't start doing it until the hard way. Um, Mm. But but yeah, so um, this interviewer asks, in terms of the stories you tell, one thing I've always liked about your songs is that you look at how politics and practices affect the rank and file instead of generalizing about how everything sucks. And Steve says, I think that's important. I'm an unapologetic leftist, but you know, I only got through the eighth grade. I've gone, I've gone, I could have gone further. I'm relatively privileged and have been my whole life. I'm lucky. And I'm pretty acutely aware that when you start to decide what's good for working people, when you're not one, there's a disconnect that happens there. It's important to remember that being able to sit around and talk about the state of the world in any kind of detail is almost a luxury. Working people don't get to do it. I just think you're more effective when you try to stay aware of how it affects everybody. Even writing John Walker's Blues, I connected it with my son, who's exactly the same age as John Walker Lynn. For some reason, when I saw him on TV, and he kind of just gets back into the same thing we've read before. See our episode on Jerusalem where we talk about this. Yep, yep. But uh, but I think it's really important to go out of your way to make sure you at least try to come to some sort of understanding of how the issues you're talking about affect ordinary people. And that is why Steve Rose is my favorite artist. Fuck yeah, man. Brilliant. That's why. That's why. That's why I want to do this podcast with you because even if it's just something people like and follow or stumble across, and I think that he's worth a second look for anybody who only knows him for Copperhead Road, and he's worth a second. He's worth he he's worth a constant revisiting. Yes, because even us talking about these records. 10 15 20 years 30 years later they all still connect to so many things that are happening yeah for better and and for worse yeah absolutely (laughs) like yeah i just i love that answer because it's because it's it's what you know in your bones about him and then he just says yeah you're right that's how that's that's i'm glad you you got it yeah (laughs) right on it just there's an authenticity there too like that I just think often popular artists struggle to share, you know, know. especially if they've been under fire for one reason or another, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so much easier to just like cower and stay out and try to like, I don't know, like stay out of the spotlight, but dude, your, your existence means you get up on a stage and you're, you, you pour your heart and soul out. If you're, unwilling to pour that whole cup on the on the stage then it's going to be obvious you're holding some of it back yeah yeah so just live your whole heart man and and if people if people love it they'll they'll be around and if people hate it then they're not supposed to be your fans <laughs> yeah those those people weren't going to support you anyway man you know yeah. and it's and it's amazing to see even though i think we've talked about this before tyler but i love even though their music is very different, Jason Isbell is carrying that same ethos like mm-hmm. into his work today. Like, you know, 
saying, you know, stuff like people had warned him, industry people, Nashville people and others had been like, you know, you're going to turn off fans if you take a stance on this or with with this song or, or you know, doing this fundraiser for LGBT rights or what are the things that he was involved yeah. in. And his response has consistently been like, okay. And, you know, like they were. They were Those not people be, were going to get turned off at some point. Yeah, at some point anyway, right? And then to, and also to be able to turn it around and go like, you know, speak, <laughs> like he's not a, he's, he's still a very humble person, but to show like number one records, sold out tours, mm -hmm. Grammys and stuff like that, he'd be like, yeah, thank God I didn't listen to the people that told me that I should cower and not yep. speak the truth, right? So, yeah, I mean, even like bigger than Jason Isbell and, and not as extreme you know, extremely progressive. But did you ever see that leaked video of Taylor Swift having that conversation with her family? Yes, I did. And there, when she was wanting to like come out like against Marsha Blackburn mm -hmm. and they were like, you're going to get death threats. And she was just like, I don't think I can live with myself if I don't say something. That's right. And her dad's like, don't do it. <laughs> and she does it. And she does it anyway. Um, she low key rules. Um, or maybe she does, honestly. High key. Also, she was getting shit. I don't, I haven't verified this, but like getting shit from certain reactionary groups online today. Cause apparently she and Selena Gomez attended a fundraiser for refugees in Gaza. Um, so fuck yeah. And then I have to say one thing though, because there was an amazing joke with it that I can't take credit for, but that I just have to share on the air. The person running this account who was like trying to criticize Taylor Swift and Selena Gomez was like, well, when are you going to do a fundraiser for Israel? And one of the commenters was like, she's an American citizen who pays taxes. Her entire career is a fundraiser for Israel. <laughs> That's and I was cool. like, dude, spot on. Yes, every American who pays taxes, whether they want it to be or not, is actively participating in a fundraiser for Israel. So, yeah, um, that that made me it was like so true. And it made me laugh my Damn, ass off. Whoever, whoever fucking posted that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, straight up. Fucking salute. That's awesome. All right. Well, you want to get into the record? Let's get into the record, man. Well, um, let's see. Let's let's read this last little bit from Steve, and then yeah. we won't have any more to read from Steve until we read about what he thinks about Condoleezza Rice later. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Steve says, on the revolution starts now, the word immediate best describes the atmosphere around the studio as this record was being made in the late spring of 2004. The prisoner abuse scandal had just broken, and the Bush administration, still reeling from the 9-11 commission hearings, was circling the wagons. The Democrats, for their part, were carefully, sometimes in my opinion, too carefully, trying to sort out how to best press the advantage. Meanwhile, back here in Tennessee, me and my boys had a deadline to meet. The most important presidential election of our lifetime, lol, was less than seven months away, and we desperately wanted to weigh in, both as artists and as citizens of a democracy. All but two of these songs were recorded within 24 hours of the first line hitting the paper. We worked 12 and 14 hour days, in between takes and over meals, we talked about the war, the elections, baseball, and women in precisely that order. Maybe I am getting old. Democracy is hard work. American democracy requires constant vigilance to survive and nothing short of total engagement to flourish. Voting is vital, but in times like these, voting alone simply isn't enough. 
By the time some of you hear these songs, the election will be over. Then the real struggle begins. When the dust clears and the votes are all counted, we're watching you, Jeb. It will all be up to it will be up to all of us, Democrats, Republicans, Greens, and Independents alike, to hold whoever whoever is left standing accountable for their actions on our behalf every single day that they're in power. The day after the election, regardless of the outcome, the war will go on. Outsourcing of our jobs will continue, and over a third of our citizens will have no health care coverage whatsoever. Like I said, it's hard work, and there's so much to be done, and there always will be. The Constitution of the United States of America is a revolutionary document in every sense of the word. It was designed to evolve, to live, and to breathe like the people it governs. It is ingeniously and perhaps conversely resilient enough to change with the times in order to meet the challenges of its third century and rigid enough to preserve the ideals that inspired its original articles and amendments. As long as we are willing to put in the work required to defend and nurture this remarkable invention of our forefathers, then I believe with all my heart that it will continue to thrive for generations to come. Without our active participation, however, the future is far from certain. For without the lifeblood of the human spirit and the greatest documents produced by humankind are only words on paper or parchment, destined to yellow and crack, eventually crumble to dust. Yours for the motherfucking revolution, Steve Earle. So cool, man. Yeah, it's like like it's incredibly well thought. Like it's just crazy because like the Abu Ghraib thing was happening around this time. Yeah, like it's hilarious to hear the most important presidential election of our lifetime. Possibly one of the first times somebody wrote that. <laughs> we, <laughs> said I, it out loud. We we really believed it at the time. And we, for sure, and we've heard it ever since. Yeah, um, I know. But yeah, no, I just I I love the whole part where like the Constitution lives and breathes and it can change and evolve. And like so many people want it to just be the same as it always is. Yeah. And just miss the fucking point, dude. Well, I miss the point and, you know, I think willfully yes. uh, misinterpreting it because, you know, if you. If if everything is framed weaponized incompetence, right? Weaponized incompetence, competence. If everything is framed through the quote like founders' intent, then you know black folks are still enslaved, women still can't mm -hmm. vote, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Down every bit of progress, and they full well know what they're saying um, when they when they use that kind of like mm -hmm. bullshit language. So. Um, Right on, Steve. And it it is just one cool thing I can say, too, about like looking back on this. You know, we laugh because sometimes the words uh, at this time in the early aughts might feel naive given everything that's transpired in the past 20 years. But like Steve is undeterred. Like Ernest. that is so inspirational. It would have been very easy to just say like, God damn it. The world still sucks. We took loss after loss after loss. Um, just let me just write some songs and do whatever. And that is not the path that he chose. He still writes what he wants to write. Not every song has to be overtly political, but he's never backed down um, from from his beliefs, not only about what is just, but also about that the world still can be a better place. We've we've yet we've yet to dig a hole too deep that we can't dig ourselves out of it. If the hole was dug by human hands, then human hands can fill it up as well. Um, so that's, 
that's some inspiration I'm trying to take with me too. Um, Dude, I, I, I've said that on stage so many times. Just we built these systems, we can build something else. That's right. Nothing is permanent. Yeah. None of us are. <laughs> Mm-mm. And that's the fucking truth. Um, the, the Whether it's people that we love and cherish or Henry fucking Kissinger, none of us is permanent. So right on. <laughs> um, let's get into the songs, man. Um, so the first song is The Revolution Starts Ellipses. Now. Oh, it doesn't <laughs> say now. Oh. Now is the last track, isn't it? Am I am I remembering on the, this wrong? On the page, it does say the revolution starts now. But on on okay, so oh, it's because of course they're not going to put the lyrics twice. Yeah, yeah no, about, it's the revolution starts. You're right, ellipses. Yeah, and then in the reprise at the end of the record uh-huh. is when it starts now. Um, I mean, man, you you already Perfect know what opening it, song. I want it to be. <laughs> You don't think this is a perfect opening you song? You already know what I'm going to say. Vocal about effects? The, the vocal layering and the effects. <laughs> like, I think he, I think he's trying to do a Tom Petty kind of thing here mm-hmm. um, with his voice, which again, I appreciate. I love the lyrics. I love just, like I told you, even, even this as a bump on fucking Air America radio used to get me stoked. Yeah. Um, I just, there are just like, some aesthetic choices here that I can say too, didn't land with me in 2004 as a person who like bought this CD right when it came out and also is still not landing with me in 2023. Um, and that's one of them. So I like it. I think it's, I think it's an awesome, perfect or awesome opening song. And I think the claps really add a lot to it. I really like that shit. I think it's fun. I think it it rocks. There's a thin line between, fun and corny man and i think it falls a little on the corny side for me i think it's earnest i'll give you that i think it's earnest but earnest can be corny too yeah i honestly i wrote i actually like the vocal effects on this on this one on other ones where i am a little iffy on i i actually like it on this song that's amazing yeah i i can just i hated it when i first heard it and i and i don't i don't hate it now but i'm like eh it just feels unnecessary to me. I love Steve's voice, man. Why you got to do that? No, I, um, I get you. I did. Um, I did one thing. I did right was wish this revolution would actually start for real. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a, really tired when I read that. that. You know, it's interesting that, and then another song we'll get to F the CC. I think are definitely live songs. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. almost like a hardcore song where it's like you need the power of the crowd singing along to really take it from like, OK, yeah. pretty good to like, yeah, this is badass. Um, if we can move on, though, like the good news is the transition, dude, the, the transition rules. And Steve gets me right back in with with the second track, Home to Houston. Um, damn, I well, one thing I wrote kind of tongue in cheek is I was like, oh, this is Steve Earle's version of King of the Night by Perfect World. Um, lyr- lyrical content <laughs> yep. wise. Um, the song is great. And speaking of earnestness and authenticity, just Steve's ability to tell the s- story of so many people that were in Iraq, mm-hmm. soldiers, contractors, whoever it was, whether you got sent there or you were like, hey, yep. this is a good way to make some money. And and the reality setting in, I, I think he he says it in a way that's both just 
a, a good fucking tune, but also like really earnest and doesn't it's like, yeah, incredibly grounded. Yes. It's incredibly grounded. It's incredibly real. I really <clears> like, dude, I mean, we're watching Generation Kill right now and the fucking vernacular in home to Houston is awesome. Mm hmm. It fucking rocks. It's so it's so cool. Um, I uh, one thing I I wrote uh about this song. I think this is probably in the first five Steve Earle songs I ever heard. Huh. it was on that playlist, and this was one that like really like I was like, oh, I really like this. Like, I like what this song is saying, and musically, I was very on board for it as well. Um. I there is the thing in the book about this. Um, this book is inspired by uh, Tony Johnson, a truck driver who's killed in Iraq. Uh, his daughter sued Halliburton, uh, claiming that her father was not properly shielded from harm in his work. Mm. Um, he was killed in an ambush when insurgents attacked a convoy uh, delivering fuel to Baghdad. Um, but yeah, um, fuck Halliburton. Fuck Halliburton, man. <laughs> it's pretty crazy that that the dick cheney got to be our vice president and then got to do all the things that he did as vice president <laughs> yeah i mean that's nuts it did stuff that was you know controversial at the time but like then it just created a blueprint for the widespread corruption that's just like business as usual if you look at the the dealings of the trump administration and others right um yeah god yeah, dude, it's fucking crazy too. I uh, one thing I, because uh, I work with like a lot of I work with a lot of conservatives, and when uh, one one thing when we're talking about uh, if like patriotism and things like that come up, um, one of the angles that I like to hit them on is um, the the contracting out labor mm. that our military does, where we contract out migrant we don't even contract it out to the people who live in the places where we're occupying or invading we contract it out to like african workers that we ship in to yep. work for like pennies on the dollar um to do jobs that you know who used to do them american soldiers right and more american soldiers would be required for these things because you'd have to bring them over and do this whole like it's my big thought watching uh we watched Platoon a few weeks ago because Ashton mm. had never seen it. Yeah. And just seeing all the infrastructure stuff that the that the infantry had to do. Right. Because they were the workers as they were well everything. as the soldiers. They were the everything. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and that's something I, I hit my coworkers on and be like, so what do you think about that? Cause you you think like you think people like people are immigrating and stealing jobs from Americans. Meanwhile, our military is actually giving American jobs away to these people and they're they're contracting it out to American companies to contract this. So our government is paying American companies to hire these basically indentured servants and like they really have no fucking way to come back from that. And I can and I know at that point I've 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 fucked them up. Mm-hmm. I fucked them up. I have a food bar. They are fucked up beyond all recognition. <laughs> they cannot come back from this because now they didn't know that. Right. They truly didn't know. They didn't know that. And there's no fault for that because I didn't know that five years ago. Mm -hmm. 
it, it was one of those things that like when you hear it, you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense that we do that. But oh, gross. And yeah. then when you think about all of those people who get killed because they're over there and when attacks happen, mm -hmm. we don't report those deaths. Right. So they don't show up on our casualty counts. And then they really don't know what to say about that. So like, so we hired them to come over and then there's going to be no like payment to their families. Sometimes maybe their families don't even find out or get their bodies back. Yeah. Because there's no accountability on that. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I, um, Home to Houston, man. It's a good fucking song. Good song. It, 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 the Telling this through the eyes of like one, one contractor who unfortunately didn't make it back home to Houston tells so much of that bigger story, like you said, um, and a great tune. This is a lot of what I want from Steve. Um, yeah. Powerful it's exactly. Song. Yeah. It's exactly what I want actually. Yeah. And then from there into rich man's war, which I think is another one of the most powerful songs on this record. Um, I wrote, this is the story of so many people I know. So many people I went to high school with, so many people of my generation. And right now, the comparison that Steve makes between a poor American joining the military and a poor Gazan, both being sent off to fight rich men's wars is just so fucking powerful. Is this your favorite song? Yeah. Yeah, they fucking got you. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is a great fucking song. Musically um lyric i mean lyrically of course but musically i really like this song i really like the three part songs like mm, there's the yeah. one on jerusalem i'm blanking on the name right now um there's the what's the song but where like each verse is like a different perspective or or a different story yeah, um, yeah the kind the kind yeah the kind yeah those three sentiments in in the kind in this song has kind of a similar sort of uh structure to it but uh yeah the harmonium on the song is good but dude yeah. uh like straight up um i stole lyrics from this song no shit the constraint song bullets business um the opening lyrics are uh another directionless soul falls on his sword another poor boy out off fighting a rich man's war yeah right on man yeah i uh this this song this this is an early one for me too. Um, there is a cool quote in the book um, of, uh, from a um, a uh, a staunch Bush supporter appeared on CNN's Paula Zahn now and uh, told the host that prior to the invasion of Iraq he had urged uh, President Bush to prepare Americans for the oh no no this is uh, Pat Robertson oh <laughs> on Paula Zahn now mm. yeah Pat Robertson on Paula Zahn now. Um, urged President Bush to prepare prepare Americans for the likelihood of casualties in the coming war, and Bush had replied, "Oh no, we're not going to have any casualties." Marvelled Robertson. He's the most self assured man I've ever seen. Hey man, mission accomplished. You know, I don't know what all this bullshit happening for the next twenty years was. He he finished this shit in a month. Fucking um, awesome, dude. dude uh, wow. Have you um, have you ever are you are you a Mike Birbiglia fan at all? I am. We, Rachin and I just watched his uh, his newest special, "The Old Man in the Pool," just the other night. Really good. Yeah, his Bush joke from from this era, yeah, is the best. 
is is the best Bush joke I've ever heard. Because it's so it it doesn't like it's nonpartisan. Mm -hmm. It's just about how I don't think he knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> and the payoff at the end, because he he describes George Bush as like your dad out off building a deck, but your dad doesn't know how to build a deck. Yep. And you're pretty sure he doesn't know what he's doing out there. And then yeah, he's like, deck accomplished. Yep. <laughs> That's so fucking good. Fucking awesome, dude. I remember hearing that when I was young, like like too young to really comprehend like what was being politically said to me, but being like, man, that's really funny. Cause I think, uh, Will Ferrell playing George Bush is very funny. And then as an adult, I'm like, that is actually profoundly <laughs> funny. And dude. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I, I fucking, I think I think of Will Ferrell before I think of the actual George Bush when I hear the voice in my head. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I he, think it was like almost squinting. Good. Yeah. yeah. Squinting into the camera saying strategery. <laughs> Um, <laughs> very cool you can't you can't shoot the shooter yale um, educated man god um, damn it can't get fooled again no. um fucking awesome dude but yeah no rich man's war man what a fucking i got it and uh, just the last thing there's so many good lines in it yeah but, but what stuck out to me too especially you know considering gaza right now and then yep. and the verse there something about living in your fear all your life makes you hard that way Yep. Um, damn powerful. Yeah, dude. I fucking like, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it so much because I literally, we started the show because we're doing this record this week is what, one of the reasons why I wanted to start generation kill. Um, and we had been on our list forever, but one of the, have you seen it? I haven't. No, it's pretty fucking good. But one of the, one of the characters there's, so there's like three characters you'll like, mm-hmm. And the rest you'll be kind of disgusted with, even though the kid who played Ziggy in The Wire, he's in it. And every uh. almost every other one of his lines is like horribly offensive, but the funniest thing I've ever heard. Um, and I don't like him, <laughs> but I do think he's funny. Um, but there's like three characters that you actually like who who are either cool or they've at least got like a perspective you can understand. And um, there's uh, there's this part where they're walking out in the desert and one of the guys who's just like a joker starts peeing in, a, in the rice of a camp they find. Mm. And um, he, uh, this, this guy, the doc character, he's like, uh, which I think he's like a field medic, but... Mm -hmm. He's in the first recon marine unit, so he's going to shoot people as well. Um, but he he says something like, "We could have taken that," and the guy's like, "Haji rice, like like why would we eat that?" And he's like, "These guys are out here living on rice and beans, sleeping on rags. These are hard men. Like, yeah. don't think for like a second right now that like we're going up." He's he's he says something like, "You you you pussies cry if you don't get a pop tart in your MRE, like." <laughs> yeah and uh, it was awesome because it was very cool to watch like someone just get cut down for their yeah. uh their dismissal of um how tough these 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 people are who've been grown up in this chaos situation yeah, like i don't know man it's it's crazy like i just it, thinking about like the the diff, the juxtaposition of um this 
you know, second son of a second son throwing bottles and tanks or bottles and rocks at the tanks mm -hmm. while in, and then transferring that into modern time while those tanks, those said tanks have a Roku in them. <laughs> yeah. No shit. Like, they're watching oh Netflix God. in the tank. Like, yeah. Come on. <laughs> it is a, I mean, it's, it's an, another one of those ways that it's like, it's, it's just so absurd to call it a war. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. Because of, of, of the implication of a war being, you know, in our, in your head, it's like two, two equally matched sides, yeah. like coming into battle and that's not what's happening at all. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. I want to watch that. Right it's on. pretty good. Yeah. Alexander Skarsgård is amazing in it. He sucks sometimes in it, but he's really good actor in it. Some of yeah, some of my favorite characters are often the people who suck, and it takes a lot of talent as an actor to play somebody who really profoundly sucks. There's a few people who are having way too much fun playing a character who sucks, and you can tell like they are very bought in on how awful their character is. That they are reveling in the the dastardly things they get to say in the show, like Leo in Django Unchained. Yeah, or uh, <laughs> or Danny Glover in Shooter. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But yeah, um, well, speaking of warriors, though. Yeah, speaking of warriors, I mean, what I wrote, hard poem. <laughs> I mean, one it, of my favorite poems he's ever written, dude. Yeah, straight up. It's it's and I. It's an amazing poem. I always thought this was a much more meaningful tribute to soldiers than anything that Toby Keith or his ilk ever wrote. Oh, yeah. Um, the second stanza is by far my favorite. Um, just a couple of the lines like, Take heed for I am weary, ancient and decrepit now, and my time grows short. There are no honorable phrase to join only mean death dealt out in dibs and dabs or horror unleashed from across oceans. Fuck. Dude, that is so fucking hard. Dude, the, uh, the Brack hair, not for platitude and surrender such de tedious detail to greater minds than mine and nimbler tongues singular in their purpose and resolve for, and presuming to speak for every man. I love that line so much too. Every fucking line in this hits. Yes. It's a it's a perfect fucking poem, dude. The the music, I like how disjointed it is too. It really works for me. You know, sometimes when they get weird, get weird, it doesn't work. But I think with the, you know, with with the the poem as is really more of like a, a voiceover over it. I really really dig it. It's powerful. The music even kind of to a certain extent reminds me of the parts in Baba O'Reilly when it's like swelling. Ah. Oh. Like I, I hear a that. lot of who in this song, which yeah. I think is cool. That's I think awesome. it's a cool fucking song. This song's on the playlist, man. I remember driving across Texas when we were there last, driving from Austin to Lubbock it's overnight. A long drive. Yeah. And I'm driving as the sun's coming up. And this song came on shuffle. That's haunting, man. And I was like, this is awesome. Everyone's asleep. <laughs> I'm just by myself listening to this, <laughs> watching the sun come up in front of me. It was cool. That's so cool. I love yeah. that. That was awesome. Um, um, yeah. The Gringo's Tale. 
What a fucking song, dude. I love this song musically a lot. I love this song lyrically a lot. I love this song lyrically a lot. I just can't with the music. dude. The you string, don't like the music? The strings? What are you doing? I like it. It's really corny, man. Um, I, I What saves it for me is just the power of Steve's storytelling. Like... Get, it's like, one of my favorite stories for sure. The, yeah, like the 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 former soldier slash agent now mm -hmm. on the run because he asked the wrong question. You know, like it is incredible, but the 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 music just does way too much for me. See, this is this is a top five Steve Earl record for me. It has no skippers, dude. This is not anywhere close to my top five. I this like. Is... This is the second to last top five we've gotten to of mine. I mean, I've got one more left. Dude, I'm like, I, it's interesting. So many of the records we've talked about, you know, and, and we both had the experience of having some that like we've known for a long time, uh, you know, some that we've heard when they came out, some that we heard many years after they came out. I wanted to love this so much. And there's so there's so many tracks that I do, right? Like it's not, mm -hmm. I don't think it's a bad album, but I wanted it to be this perfect statement because I, I guess politically mm -hmm. it just encapsulated so much of what I felt and I wanted to say at that time. But there's a handful of tracks that just don't hit. Um, and this is one of them. This is one of about three that I'm just like, I got to skip it. Really, um, dude, this one hits, yeah. this one hits for me. And there's, there's maybe only like one or two songs on this that don't like hit for me, but I still don't skip. Okay. I don't, I don't hate them. I just don't like them as much as the other songs, but I fucking love the Gringo's Tale, dude. It, uh, this, this song, it, it made me think, uh, recently we watched that American Made movie, the Tom Cruise. Mm movie about uh fucking i can't remember the guy's name benny something i think or the the fly the air america pilot or whatever who got assassinated by a cartel yeah yeah um and uh this song always it, it like makes me think of like that like the contra fucking time and it's the cool it's a cool way to write a song about that it definitely is man like i the 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 storytelling is just unfuckwithable for sure god it's fucking awesome dude the fucking uh the i smuggled their poison sometimes like that fucking rules yeah it's so fucking good i love it well, well yeah you want to get on to condi condi <clears throat> since you let's get on to condi condi man because we are in the these are this is this is your slump this is this might be my least favorite Steve Earle song of all time, man. That's, I think this is the funniest song he's ever written. It is a it is a funny song. I think so. Here's what I, I'll just read what I wrote. I think about my other great commentators commentators of the W era in the early aughts, the Suicide File, <laughs> and I'm like, mm -hmm. Ashcroft is to Condi Condi yeah. what Fuck Fox News is to F the CC. <laughs> Yeah, no, like, that's that's yeah. that re relationship, and I'll say that like we'll, we'll get your sister songs. Yeah, we'll get to F the CC, which is I have so many great things to say about that. 
Ashcroft is definitely the better song than Condi Condi. Oh, and, yeah, it's a better um, song, but it's not con- more fun. Well, this song is fun. And I'm just, I just wrote again, I'll say Condoleezza Rice, in my opinion, deserves all the scorn that anyone could heap upon her. But Steve, this shit makes me cringe, man. The, 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 you know, dance for me. I know it's tongue in cheek, dude. I just picture just... Condoleezza Rice skanking when he says "skank for me," skank for I me mean, with the really reggae fucking, beat. It really fucking kills me, dude. I again, and this is I, I. I feel like I have to defend my. This is not me. Like, oh, I thought this was cool, and now I look back on it, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, I thought this. You never was, thought it was cool. I thought this was whack the first time I heard it. I think it's whack the. 40th time i've heard it um, dude i think it's so fun still this is this is an early song for me hearing too this this song is like one of the records or this record is one of the records that paul really liked so uh like several songs from this made it on that playlist and this is one of them that was just like a fun song he put on and i can remember thinking it was just really funny and like this is i because i mean dude i heard copperhead road like within the first five times like seabrill songs i heard but it was like, like Home to Houston might have even been a song I heard before Copperhead wrote. Well, now that rules. So, um, but I'm saying like, like these songs all hit me at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just excited about new music. So like a 17 year old hardcore kid who likes everything. I liked all of it. And I thought it was all so fun. Um, I did have a, a fun idea for the talking about this song. Um, and I typically don't like to speculate wildly about things, but I would like to speculate wildly on Condoleezza Rice's taste in ska music. Please do. Gotta be third wave, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, yeah, I can't see her. Get, do you think she gets down to Desmond Decker? I don't know. I don't think she would um, like any ska music that black people made. <laughs> <laughs> so you think you think she likes real big fish? I think she's real big fish. <laughs> oh my god, dude. Or less than Jake. I think that those are I think she would stay away well, from the punker stuff. She's not an op ivy head. <laughs> she's not listening to Catch 22 either. Like she's not even that on on the third wave. She's not even onto that. I think she's listening to, to, to less than Jake and Real Big Fish. Save Ferris, maybe. I've never listened to Save Ferris. Is it worth it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Do you if you like less than Jake, you'll probably like Save Ferris. I think less than Jake's fine, but I also there, like. I think revisiting as an adult might be more fun. Yeah. I, no, less than Jake is one of those bands for me. Like they've got a ton of stuff that just makes me roll my eyes uh-huh. but when they hit they wrote some of the catchiest choruses you know what i mean like yeah. i yeah i'm not mad at less than jake um i like a lot of ska um but yeah me too i like all different waves of ska yeah same i'm just um, yeah I, i've never thought about condoleezza rice listening to ska but now i'm curious every time i listen to this song i think about it <laughs> Um, but let's listen to what Steve had to say about Condoleezza Rice. He says, uh, you know, I think she's kind of hot. There's no accounting for taste. She has the, she has, 
She has the usual fashion challenges Republicans have to deal with. She needs to do something about her hair because damn, but I'm single and she's getting ready to be unemployed, <laughs> which <Dude>. she was, <laughs> but he's still like one. <laughs> um, uh, never can tell. She fascinates me. Actually, her very existence. She's exactly my age, a black woman, exactly my age with a really, really good education. Ending up where she is is really fascinating to me. The only reaction to the song has been in the New York Daily News because they ran it as a cute little column piece. The first thing written about this record was about that song. I mean, you put, you put something like this out there, like it's going to. Well, he said, he said, I thought, here we go again. It hasn't really worked out that way. In fact, I got a four star review in the New York Post, which bummed me out. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Steve. <laughs> Dude, Some, but sometimes Steve is like too horny for his own good, man. Well, the funny like, thing is, is he's sometimes like, like we we've talked about this, like the the horniness is like, like reserved in his earlier music. I feel like more, but as he gets older, he gets way more comfortable with it. Even yeah. on this record, there's another song that gets a little more comfortable yeah. with it too. He leans into it more as he gets later in his career. Well, Steve, I have good news for you, man. Even in the year 2023, Rice has never married and has no children. So you have a shot. Um, <laughs> so you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. So you could add you could add to 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 your total of marriages and um, you know, or maybe you just hang out and have fun. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah just, just swinging singles. Um, I do think that's funny though that he has that like fun like attraction, or at least admitting this attraction to Connolly's Rice. Because it makes me think of that like fetishization of people you politically hate, like AOC. Like, oh, like the right does with AOC. Yes, yeah, I was like exactly uh, like that. Yeah, it's yeah. so fucking and, and Ilhan Omar. Like, yeah, like it's it's pretty sick. <laughs> yeah, and I mean they they go well beyond Steve just being like I think she's hot and do a lot of fucked up stuff. But that's interesting. You know what else I remember at this this time i remember having friends that would be like i don't know man this might be weird but i think ann Coulter's kind of hot and i'd be like dude there's that that uh that um <laughs> the wright brothers that 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 right-wing pop punk band oh they have an ann Coulter song they have an ann Coulter. i want to i want to i want to fuck ann Coulter song or some shit like that oh, it's Jesus. pretty nuts but those guys like i, I was like that's coming from the same side well. yeah, yeah those guys politically want to as well oh my god oh uh, very fun um, what a weird time. Uh, yeah, let's move on from Condi. I think that's more that's more than I wanted to say about it. You have so more. are you so you're saying you think F the CC is is a live track and do you are you saying it doesn't work recorded? I think it works recorded. I think it fucking kills live. Okay. Yeah. Because this is my favorite song. I this was one of two choices I was gonna make. I didn't have a chance to, I, I remembered this time to think mm -hmm. about it. I was stuck between this or frankly, the seeker, um, Ooh, which we'll get I, to. I do have an affinity for that song too. Yeah. Um, dude, I want nothing more than to do a rock band again, just to try to convince the band to cover this song. It'd be badass, dude. It's a great it song. It fucking rock. It's so cool. I love everything about it. It's yeah. so fun. It's a, it's a rocker. The, the verses rule. Um, I mean, sing-alongs for days yeah. um you it's know so like, fun it's and so fun and and a shout out to the man lenny bruce too like what's not to like 
Dude, the bass is so heavy in this song too. Everything like really comes out. And I can imagine live it would be even more yeah. intense and fun. This is a stage diver for sure. Absolutely. Again, it's like that's like I want I want to hear F the CC and fuck Fox News back to back, man. Spiritually, they're from the same family to me. They really are. Yeah. Oh, very cool. This this song though, I like I never really thought too much about the FCC until like the whole net neutrality shit during the Trump administration. Oh, what was that guy? His Agit fucking, Pie. Yeah, with the fucking yeah. big mug. What I hate dork. that I had to learn anything about that fucking smug I, asshole. I remembered his face and I'd forgotten yeah. his name. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Complete smug piece of shit. What do you think he's terrible doing person? Right I don't know. Making he's probably God. making more money than us. I, I definitely <laughs> more than us. Yeah, I was like to making nothing. Gobs of money to sit around and. Yeah. Every once in a while, I have to use one of his connections to get something done that a corporation wants to do, right? So, all right, Mr. Pie. Um, but yeah, the FCC has been awful for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, well, before Mr. Pie, fuck him indeed. Well said, Steve. Um, coming around, it's, uh, I found this to be a very relatable song. It's a, you know, it's a kind of big U-turn Right, not U-turn, but a, a turn from the like more overtly political content that Steve has been on for the last few songs into a song that I interpret as being kind of about like coming out of a bout of depression, which mm -hmm. is is what feels relatable here to me. And then the addition of Emmylou Harris just is kind of icing on the cake. So I think this is a really good song. Yeah, this is my favorite of their like duets. And I didn't realize he uh, he he in and asked about this he mm -hmm. talks about how she's done a lot of background vocals and he finally wrote like a proper duet for them interesting and yeah yeah because this is like the first one that's like a, a proper one because he's done it with other people but he just has used her so much but never um <laughs> never managed to like make it happen with emmy lou and the the interviewer says you don't have to justify using emmy lou harris he said she's emmy lou harris you know <laughs> that's right um but yeah um yeah no this song's awesome it, i did learn something from the book this is written for uh the movie unfinished life uh starring oh. robert redford morgan freeman and j-lo wow that really dates this movie a little bit never never heard of it i never heard of it either so it might be worth uh checking out um yeah this is definitely my favorite collab of those two and i like the lyrics a lot the harmonica yeah is really cool the like pace of the song i really like i just kind of trods along yeah i think it's i think it's a very different song for this record and uh mandolin dude dude nailed it it's it's it shows all, up all the parts are just it's it's a it's a really fucking good song and really i really good and i like and again like you've you've been out on so many of these songs that i am just like full full bore into um I'm still in at this point in the record and all the way in. So yeah, coming around is awesome. Well, I'm in with you right here. Um, yep. And as we move on to, I thought you should know too. I wrote this. I don't like this as much as coming around, but I think damn good heartbreak song. It, it is what I wrote is it's formulaic, but well done. And to me, that's one of Steve's gifts as a songwriter is that even when he's kind of, following a template mm -hmm. that for other people could be boring bland. and yeah. bland. Yeah. He still makes it like, um, it's not a skipper. 
you know what I mean? Um, for me. So, yeah, no, I, uh, I, um, I think this song is like unbelievably vulnerable. Yes. And I, I like how the, one thing I wrote is I like how the guitar like swells in the song in like mm -hmm. a really cool way. Um, just admitting that he still needs you, but doesn't want to disappoint you by already being completely thrashed. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Somebody like he else. still wants you here, but if you think you're going to hurt him, he's like, it's, it's already done. Dude. It is very like, there was a time in my life when this was very relatable. He nails that, you know, like somebody else already tore it apart. I thought you should know, you know, um, this, th this is a man who's lived that several times. You can tell, um, in the way he writes it. Um, I want to talk about the seeker. Dude, what a fucking song. Yeah. I, because this, you know, I, I, I picked this as potentially your favorite for me. This is definitely number two behind rich man's war. Um, the music kicks in. It's so Springsteen in a, in a good way. And for sure, I think something that I'm just really appreciating again, you know, this gets back to some of the themes we were talking about earlier at this point in Steve's career. And especially at this point with, with what was going on in the world, Steve is, is, is really making songs like this a regular part of his work. Kind of the, yeah, the world fucking sucks, but damn it, you have to keep loving and learning and having hope or else the bastards have won, you know? And so like I, the, 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 the person who chooses to keep seeking, keep learning, keep finding beauty in the world, no matter what else is going on. I think that's a, Steve hits on that a lot in his songs. And I think this is probably one of my favorite expressions of that. Yeah, no, it's definitely like a recurring theme in so many of his songs. And I mean, even just in the first and last songs on this record, uh, yeah, this one thing in in this there's an interview in this book and he's asked about uh about this and he i really like this he says we're much better off when there's not a disconnect between spirituality and politics he says i'm not talking about religion you have to disconnect religion because religion is political spirituality is a totally different thing a lot of people come out of 12 or come to 12 step programs having had a real bad experience with religion you have to believe in a power greater than yourself to get clean i really do believe that i've never known anybody to be able to do it otherwise people need to learn that there's a difference between religion and spirituality religion is a group of people's agreement about what god is in the relationship with god that's political because it requires a consensus spirituality is one person's intimate one-on-one -on -one relationship with god that's above and beyond politics. I don't care. Jesus Christ can be your personal savior for all you want. But as soon as you start telling everybody else that they've got to get God that way, you're in trouble. It becomes political. And I think that is fucking awesome. Because mm -hmm. I believe heavily in like spirituality. I believe that what we're doing right now is very spiritual. I believe that moshing is spiritual. I believe that... Oh. You know, I believe all these things that we do that when we commune with each other, it feeds this, this, you know, need that we all have to like connect and, and, um, and love and show love and, uh, and hate <laughs> like, and just all of our show, all of share everything about ourselves with each other. And I think that is spiritual. I think spiritual, spir our spirits are connected and linked in those ways. 
Um, and I don't think that Jesus Christ even existed. <laughs> he definitely existed, Tyler. Um, but we can have that discussion another time. How did you know that I was listening to Strong Arm yesterday and enjoying it thoroughly? <laughs> because I was. <laughs> Advent of a Miracle still holds up. It's hard. Christian hardcore and metalcore just completely missed me. <laughs> Dude, there's a, I hit, yo, I hit our buddies Tom Sheehan and Nick Acosta this weekend with a fucking nuclear level take. Are you ready for this? And sure. I say it this. Might go, it might go over my head, but go for well, it. Well, I don't want it because what you just shared was beautiful and I don't want to minimize that. Even though I, I, I can relate to many parts of it, especially just around like, those feelings of like love and energy that I have for other people that I don't always have a way to explain. And it's mm -hmm. okay to not have a way to explain it, you know, let it. It's bigger be, than you. Right. Let it. Yeah, exactly. It's something bigger than me. Exactly. Um, I was in the mood for this particular brand of noodly South Florida metallic hardcore and I listened to Shai Halud's masterpiece, Hearts Once Nourished. Okay. Warmth and Compassion. I'm on board. And Strong Arms Advent of a Miracle, back to back. Two bands that were connected in many, many ways. Same scene. Records came out the same year. I want to be very clear. That Shai Halud record is, is an all-timer, a masterpiece. When I was listening at this point in December of 2023, the Strong Arm record was better. Okay, it it hit harder. I've never actually heard Strong Arm. I just know the I just know the Dude, deal. There's a few songs that are unbelievably hard. Like, um, and you know, I and I'll say this too: having seen both bands live, Halud killed them live, especially in the years that Garrett was their mm -hmm. vocalist. Um, you know, I got to, I saw strong arm at a furnace fest. I think they've since played another one. Um, and it was cool, but it never hit me like Shai Halud did, but it was just from a, like doing chores, listening. I was just like the, the strong arm record got the bedroom mosh out of me more than the Shai Halud record did. Um, and it's amazing to dude, the, the late nineties and early aughts in hardcore, the the range in sound quality on recordings is just oh wild. yeah we talked about this before right like there's you realize some... you're like wait when was this recorded wait no <laughs> yeah and because I'm, I'm like there's some stuff where i'm like oh yeah it sounds kind of thin but oh that was the time and then there'll be another record that was recorded like the same year and i'll be like this is heavy as hell what were you doing um and you're like really not to obviously engineers all that matters. I think a ton. we had this. I think Zayo came up when we last time we Zayo, dude. Yeah. I'm always talking about Christian metalcore. Um, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but like, it's it's just so funny to know. Like nowadays, it's like your engineer matters, the ear that they have, the sounds that mm -hmm. they can get. But I think in terms of like the equipment being used, we're on a much more level playing field. You know what I mean? Like oh, everybody's yeah. using Pro Tools. Mm -hmm. Everybody's kind of using the same stuff. But back then like what one person had in one studio and another way was just like night and day or what they knew. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Right. What they knew. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, you could say that was a spiritual experience for me. Um, I'm happy for you. 
Yeah. Although they are, they unabashedly believe that you must accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Um, Won't do it, and... but uh, I will <laughs> accept the seeker as my, as, 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 as a song that you thought was going to be my favorite one. Yeah. I really do love this song a lot. I think Fantastic. it's incredibly smart. And, yeah. uh, and I think it like bringing the, the, the energy up after I thought she should know. Yep before going into the reprisal at the end of this record um yeah dude the seeker being here to like really get bright and lovely and positive before being like all right now go out in the streets <laughs> right that's um <laughs> raise hell the other thing that another record that came out at this time that i think spiritually revolution starts now hits so many of those same notes as is um the fucking uh Boy Sets Fire record. Um, oh my God. I'm like losing. I've, I've never really been a Boy Sets Fire guy. So they had, they definitely had eras. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like they're a band that, you know, there was the earlier stuff, which is, oh, after the eulogy is the record, um, which I think is their best one. Um, Spotify has this is coming out in 2000. And that is, I don't think that's true. Is it true? Anyway, it, it might be, um, but I'll, I'll say, um, I always thought it was a little later, but I no, you know what? I think 2000 is right. Anyway, they had an earlier sound that was a lot more like emo. And I say that. I think that's the, what I've heard. Yeah. In the sense of like, you know, singing part and then a really thrashy part and that kind of stuff. This, uh, the, um, after the eulogy record is kind of their more in my mind, like straightforward melodic hardcore record. I think it sounds good, but it has the, the sing-along that everybody remembers from this one is, where's your anger? Where's your fucking rage? Where's your anger? Where's your fucking rage? And it's like, it builds really well. Um, and then after that, they took a turn that a lot of people have compared to like an earth crisis in that they um, very purposefully were like, Let's play we the rooms. Yeah, like we love hardcore, but we're actually about getting our message out. Mm -hmm. Period. Uh, okay. That's more important than hardcore. Yeah. And so they both, frankly, at given what was popular at the time, started playing like new metal. Basically, mm -hmm. um, I don't think they ever went as new metal as Earth Crisis did, but definitely there's a shift onto the next record, Tomorrow Come Today, where I think there are a few good songs, but then there's a lot of stuff where I'm like you just have your guitars tuned down to mud butt and are just playing yeah. like the don't 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 like slipknot kind of riff you know didn't, um, didn't go full slither though yeah didn't go full slither but definitely okay. we're trying that and it was like hey surprisingly uh that scene wasn't super stoked about like a overtly left-wing you know political band with an openly gay lead singer um so they, they never really took off <laughs> and then i think Kind of came back to came back to hardcore, um, but I got to see them. I got to see them play. Uh, I don't know if it was a reunion show, but they played in Philly a few years ago, and it was they still sounded great. Um, but anyway, I'm just putting all this in the category of like, sh like records that made me fucking amped in the to kill George Bush in the early 2000s. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and that was one of them. And I think. Um, I I, I want to hear your opinion on this because I have gone back and forth even in these re-listens to get ready for this episode on whether or not I think the reprise is cool. 
Like sometimes I'm like, I really just wish they would have ended with the seeker. That would have been Mm -hmm. great. And then other times I'm like, no, I like that they come back and do revolution again. So I'm kind of ambivalent about it. What are your thoughts? Um, I think the fact that he says again before it is very funny. It is Um, funny. And the only thing I really have to say is the part where the song keeps going is pretty cool. Yeah. I think that it's it's maybe wasn't worth doing for just that to be cool. But then today, listening to it, and I heard that particular part in the car, and it really reminded me of like the Lemonheads, which ah. made me hear the Tom Petty influence in this record for the first time. There definitely is Tom Petty influence. And yes. I was like, huh. But it's funny because we had that whole conversation on the Tom Petty episode. If you haven't heard that, listen to us talk about Tom Petty for fucking four hours. Two parts. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, but I made that connection in the Tom Petty episode of how much influence he had on bands like the Lemonheads and mm-hmm. and the the power pop of modern day. And when I heard that 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 you know melodic guitar part when it all pauses and it kicks back in. I was like, damn, that reminds me of the fucking Lemonheads. Oh, shit. There's a lot of Tom Petty on this record, actually. Yo, there really is. There That's really cool. Is. And then now it makes way more sense why I've always connected with this record and thought that this has just always been one of my favorites. This one has been in my top five since I heard it. That's awesome. Like, it's never been pushed out of my top five. And we're almost through all of my top five records. Yeah, it's, I mean... As someone again who has a feels a deep sense of connection with this record, but it's not part of my top five. It's been really cool to talk to you about it, like and and to say like even though I'm not convinced, not that you were trying to convince mm-hmm. me, but even though I don't feel the same way, I can appreciate it more deeply. Even the parts that I'm like, oh, this isn't for me, I can appreciate them. So always fun to do this, man. It's always um, fun. Yeah. That's very good. And dude, I will say like uh, going back to the seeker for one second, that a a thing that I feel like would maybe make you think is him talking about his grandfather and the influence that his grandfather's had on him and how as I get older, I'm noticing more of his my grandfather's influence on me after he's passed, which I certainly wish I had communicated more of these things to him when he was alive. Yeah. But like part of me, like doing all the things that I do is like kind of hoping to, I don't know, like carry him with me in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. with, you know, union stuff and then just other things like that. And I I hope he wouldn't be embarrassed of me and how far I would go with these things. But at the same time, like I know a lot of the influence of me wanting to, you know, know the truth and care about others and whatnot is from him. So. I, uh, yeah, I can see why you think that'd be my favorite song, but F the CC, dude. F the CC, dude. I mean, you talking about that uh, every time always makes me think about The Unbreakable by Have Heart. Yeah. Um, dude, that, uh, the, um, when, uh, when we saw them one time and he was talking about, he was, I can't remember what song he was, he was talking about, a song off the things we carry that he wrote about his dad and he, he talked about that song 
and I guess they were already working on songs to scream at the sun. Mm -hmm. And he talked about, he was like, I wrote this song about my dad or I know I wrote this song about my grandpa. My great. Yeah. It's about yeah. his grandpa. So, yeah. So no, no, he says, I wrote this song about my grandpa <clears throat> and how great he was. And then as I'm getting older, I'm realizing actually my dad was the great one. Mm. My dad protected my grandpa's image for me. And I realize now mm. I appreciate my dad so much for allowing me to have that fond memory and shielding the negative parts of my grandpa from him. That's fascinating. And then on Song Scream at the Sun, he wrote a song about his dad. Yeah. To make up for him not giving his dad enough credit for how he turned out. And I and I remember that was one moment, like listening to Pat Flynn talk about that, that like I think influenced me a lot to like want to like find that level of vulnerability on stage to like be able to just say things that that someone might think is corny or someone might think is like lame or you know uh words that aren't appropriate to say yeah <laughs> and <laughs> if you if you if you have respect for other people um but like i thought that was really strong to be That's... able to say something like that in front of room people Absolutely. And I mean, and admit you're wrong too. And admit, right. Admit like, I, I think about this differently than I did when I yeah. wrote it. Um, but it's like, it's still there, but I'm going to, now I'm, I'm producing different art because I'm seeing this differently. I'm seeing my relationship and, and the role my dad played in between me and my grandfather differently. And yeah, I think that like, dude, vulnerability rules, fucking it takes courage to do that. It always has. It always will. And most of the people who roll their eyes at shit like that are the people who won't fucking be around in another year or so. So I, there's literally no reason to care. Or, we're, <laughs> we're, or, yeah. or don't like you in the first place. Or yeah. Or they never were. They, they were never <laughs> going to like it. So it's like they'll be okay standing around for another 30 seconds while you say what you have to say before they get another opportunity to either mosh or purpose or, or cross their arms or whatever they're going to mm -hmm. do while you play. So fuck yeah, man. Well, always a pleasure. Listen to Steve, listen to the suicide file, listen to have heart. And, uh, Tell the people you love that you love them. Absolutely. That's, that's our message. All right, y'all. We'll see you soon. Peace.